our lives. It has not come from you. Because of that, we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we give you the honor, Father. We're careful to lift up your name this evening, Father God, and not our own, your will and not our own. And God, we just uh, confess our need for you tonight. God, I confess my need to bring forth your word, to, uh, to speak and to preach, Lord God, to teach your people, Father God, the truths that you've laid on my heart, the word that you've given me throughout this week, God. And I pray that I would do that with clarity. Pray that I would do it with your anointing, Lord God. I pray that I would just do it according to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Father God, I hide myself behind the cross so that your people would hear you and see you and not hear me and see me, Father, now, so that you would receive the glory. And your people need your help tonight as well, God, to forget about the, the cares of this week and the troubles of the day. Now, Lord, to open up their ears so that they might hear and to uh, prepare their hearts so that they might receive with gladness, God, and not with opposition. So we come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, God, every care, concern that we might have brought with us. And we lay it at your feet tonight, God, asking for your help and your presence. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. As you might know, if you've been here the last four weeks or five weeks now, I've started a series on the Beatitudes, and tonight the title of my message is Hunger and Thirst. This is the fourth Beatitude, and I'm going to get right to the Word of God, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, and I'm only going to go to verse 6. But, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into the mountain, and after he was set, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. And taught them saying this, and I'm telling you, every time I read that section, I don't care how many times I read it, I am just amazed at the fact that God would open up his mouth and talk to us. I'm amazed at the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would open up his mouth to mere men and speak to them the secrets of the kingdom. And I'm amazed that every week that we come here, God does the same thing. Every time we come into his presence, God opens up his, not me, God's opening up his mouth and he wants to speak to us and teach us. And I think we need to, uh, we need to just thank God for that, that grace. It's because of his grace that he does that. Amen. Uh, because we don't even deserve for him to speak to us the things that he does, but we receive it anyway. So he opened up his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I have a kingdom. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I have a God that can comfort me in my time of need. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And once again, I'm glad I have an inheritance. It's not just an earthly inheritance, an inheritance. It's a supernatural spiritual inheritance that God has granted to us. And finally tonight, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, where they shall be satisfied is a, another interpretation of that scripture. And how many of you know that there is only one individual who can satisfy the thirsty, one individual who can fill the hungry with all good things, and that is our Father which is in heaven. The only individual that can satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with good things is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The only one that's capable of filling us with everything we need is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. There's individuals in your life who will promise you all sorts of fulfillment, but they'll never come through. Because there's only one who can satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with good things, and that is Jesus Christ and God himself. 
I'm glad, church, that I have a Father in heaven who has the power to fill me up with good things. Please understand what I just said. You and I serve a God who has the power to fill us up with good things. He, he, he doesn't just drizzle a little bit into our life. He's not capable of, of only filling us a quarter of the way or a third of the way or half of the way or even three quarters of the way. You and I serve a father who is able to fill us up and fill us up with good things. And I'm grateful for that church. He's able to fill us with good food and not just junk food, with royal food and not just cheap junk. I want you to understand that we serve a, a father and we have a king that's able to fill us up with Good things with things that have the power, according to the word of God, to satisfy us and not leave us empty and wanting. You see, the reality is you'll be surrounded with individuals and you'll be surrounded by by the things of this world that, like I said, will promise to satisfy and fill. But they don't. They cannot satisfy and they will not fill you. They will always leave you empty and they will always leave you wanting. But we have a father that has the ability to fill us with good things. You see, the truth is, this world will do all that it can to fill you up with bad things. This world will do all it can to fill you up with earthly things and with carnal things. It'll try to fill you up with empty things and useless things and meaningless things. It will do all it can to fill up your life and to fill up your soul and to fill up your mind with things that are passing away and things that are fading away and things that will not last, with things that do not have the power to satisfy. But what Jesus is teaching the disciples is that there is a power that is able to fill you and satisfy you, never leave you empty, never leave you wanting, and actually to leave you with more than you need. Because how many of you know God is able to do more than than we expect and more than we imagine? He is a God of more. He's come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. It's what God does. I want to thank God that he has the power to fill us with good things and lasting things, things that have Uh, Things that are built upon and around eternity, church. Scripture tells us that he fills the hungry soul with goodness. He fills the hungry soul with the goodness and the fatness and the riches of his house. Just like when the prodigal son came to his senses and changed his attitude towards his father, the Bible teaches us, when he got up and when he walked back to the father in humility, he found the richness of his father's house once again. He found the fullness of his father's house. Once again, you know the story. When the prodigal son was willing to become poor in spirit, when he recognized his spiritual condition, when he was away from the father for such a period of time and realized the poverty of his spirit and realized how much he needed to be back to the father when he began to weep over his spiritual condition and when he began to weep over his sins, the Bible tells us when he became humble in heart and he was willing to walk back to the father when he hungered for good things instead of carnal things, because that's what he had done for a number of years. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the prodigal son was away, but some estimates say up to 10 years that he was away and he was trying to satisfy his soul with carnal things for 10 years. The Bible would tell us. But how many of you know he never was satisfied? He was never filled with things that would satisfy him. So finally, the Bible says he came back to his senses. And when he drew near to the father, when he was willing to come back to the father, when he was willing to confess his sins, when actually he was willing to do what we've taught and and learned over the last few weeks, when he was willing to become poor in spirit, 
when he recognized the, the, the seriousness of his spiritual depravity, when he confessed his sins, when he was brought to his knees and he mourned over his sins, when he, when he was willing to get up, like we've learned, and walk in humility back to the Father, guess what happened? You know the story? His father filled him with the fatness of his house. When he got back home, the Bible tells us that his father put a royal robe on him and he slayed the catted, fatted calf. And that young man was now satisfied. He was filled. The reality is he was willing to even become a servant. So he already knew what, what was at work within his soul. You understand that when he left, he left thinking that he was all that in a bag of chips. But when he made his way back to the father, he was willing to no longer even come back as the son to sit at the head of the table. He was willing to come back as a servant. He, he wasn't he wasn't about to come back thinking that he could lord it over anyone. And I'm saying all that to teach you that he is a perfect example of an individual that went through the process that we've learned so far. And what I'm trying to tell you is that when we are willing to do those things, things, we will be filled, the Bible tells us. We will be satisfied because when we're willing to do those things, God is willing to fill us with the fatness of his household. How many of you want to be filled with the goodness of God? Then the reality is we have to be willing to hunger and thirst after the things of God. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. Our heavenly father has the power to fill us with all good things when we hunger and thirst for him. Please grasp this. What Jesus is teaching to his disciples is when we're poor in spirit, when we weep over our sin, when we walk in humility, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, like this verse says, God fills us with the fullness and the fatness of the kingdom of God. How many of you know the kingdom is filled with riches? I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all the promises of God. I'm talking about the grace of God and the power of God and the provisions of God and the protection of God. And all of those things are part of the fatness and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And when you and I are willing to walk with a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, all of those things become ours and we can enjoy them in our life. Unfortunately, listen, so many of us have the the same spiritual taste buds as our earthly ones. There's so many individuals in the house of God. Listen, I've been there myself. There's so many individuals in the house of God whose spiritual taste buds are like the earthly ones. They want all the sweet stuff. They want all the fluff stuff. They, they, don't, want the, they don't want the meat of God's word. They, they want the sweet things. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there's a generation that says, tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. Tell me the things that I want to hear. Don't tell me the things that I need to hear. Tell me the things I want to hear, not the things that are good for me. Tell me the things that, that I want to, to hear, the, the sweet things and the good things. But the reality is you and I have to be willing to be filled up with the good things, not just the sweet things. You and I have to be willing to be filled up with the things that make a difference in our life, the things that truly satisfy and quench the longings of our soul. And those things not always are sweet. Those things not always are the things that, that we might feel taste the best, but we have to be willing to fill our things with good things, things that make us strong. The reality is if we're not willing to hunger and thirst after righteousness, if we're not willing to hunger and thirst after the things of God, if we're not willing to, to, to hunger and thirst after the, the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God and the, the concepts of God and the fruit of the Spirit and all those things that make up the kingdom of God, we will not be filled the way we need to be filled and we won't be spiritually healthy either. If you go through your entire life eating nothing but junk physically, guess what? You're going to be sick. You'll be weak. You'll be strong. 
You won't be strong, rather. And the same thing goes for us spiritually. If we don't hunger and thirst after the right things, we won't be satisfied. If you and I don't hunger and thirst after the things of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the truth of God, if we don't hunger and thirst after those things, we will not be satisfied, church. And we have to understand that. We have to hunger for the the things of the kingdom and not the things of this world. The reality is there's a whole lot of people out there that hunger for junk, just like they hunger for junk food. They hunger for the junk that surrounds them in life and in our society. But here's what I want to get to. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He didn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the things of this world. He didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the, the things of this society. He didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and, sir, uh, hunger and thirst after fleshly things or after carnal things. He didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after popularity or prestige or power. He didn't say, blessed are those that, that hunger and thirst after anything earthly. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And how many of you know the only place righteousness can be cultivated is in the kingdom of God? Those are the things we have to hunger for. Those are the things that we have to desire in our life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness sake. Please understand, God does not fill the half-hearted with anything. God doesn't fill the half-hearted with anything. God doesn't satisfy those who don't hunger and don't thirst for him. God doesn't cast his pearl before swine, the Bible tells us. And if you don't hunger for him and you don't thirst for him, guess what? He's not going to fill you up with good things. He's going to hold what he has and give it to somebody that wants what he has. He's going to hold on to it and give give it to somebody that hungers and thirsts for what he has. Because God will not satisfy those that aren't hungry and those aren't thirsty. God doesn't offer the fatted calf to those who have no desire for it. God doesn't have, God doesn't offer the fatted calf to those who don't have a taste for it. You see, the reality is there's individuals, even in the house of God, that don't have a taste for the things of God. They don't have a taste for the Word of God. They don't have a taste for the presence of God. They don't have a taste for the worship of God. They don't have a taste for the the presence of God. They have a taste for the things of the world. The reality is just because someone comes and sits in a church pew doesn't mean they have a taste for the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that they have a heart for the Father. It means they're coming to church, and I thank God for that. And somewhere along the way, maybe their attitude will change, and maybe their appetite will change, and maybe somewhere along the way, after being exposed to the Word of God and the power of God, they might begin to have a taste for God. But the reality is God will not reward those who don't diligently seek Him. And this is kind of what Jesus is teaching in this beatitude. He won't fill those who are already filled with the world. The only way that God can fill you is if you're willing to empty yourself. The only way that God will fill me is if I'm willing to empty myself. And listen, unless I become poor in spirit, unless I go through the process that I've learned and learn how to empty myself of pride and learn how to empty myself of me, myself, and I, and learn how to empty myself of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, God won't and cannot fill me. 
God will not pour His blessing on someone that is filled with filth. Because all it would do is run out and make no use. God wants to pour Himself and pour His power and pour His promise into someone that was as willing to empty themselves and say, Okay, God, now I'm hungry for more of you. Now I'm thirsty for more of you. You see, you're not going to hunger for God when you're filled with the world. You're not going to thirst for God when you're drinking from foul fountains out there in the world. If you give up those things, then all of a sudden you'll be hungry and you'll be thirsty. And this is what God is teaching his children. He fills those who who hunger for the heart of God. He fills those who are poor in spirit. He fills those who weep over their sins. He fills those who get up and walk in humility. And he fills those who have a heart for him. Remember, the first beatitude is the attitude we're to have towards ourselves. The second beatitude is the attitude we are to have towards sin. The third beatitude is the attitude we are to have towards others, not lording it over them, not thinking I'm any better than them. Because how many of you realize when you catch a glimpse of yourself in the light of God's glory, you look at everybody else differently, amen? When you, as you, when you, who, who is nothing but a sinner saved by grace, come into the light of God's glory and the light of God's grace, you begin to look at people differently. You become like the prodigal son who, when he, when he found uh, and discovered his spiritual poverty, he began to look at all those that he used to lord it over at home differently. That's why he was willing to say, when I go home, I'll say to my father, give me the last seat. I'll become your servant. He looked at everyone differently when he got up and began to walk in humility. It's what happens when we go through this process. We look at others individually and we're willing to become servant of all so that we can be considered great in the kingdom of God. It's the attitude we have towards others. And this, the fourth beatitude, is the attitude we are to have towards Christ and the kingdom of God. It's, it specifically refers to the attitude towards this thing called righteousness. It points to a new attitude we are to have towards the father. Again, I'll go back to the prodigal son. When the prodigal son left, he had a bad attitude towards his father. He was probably tired of the rules and he was tired of the regulations. He was tired of the law. He was tired of the righteousness that was surrounding him. And he thought, I'll go out and I'll sow my oats out in this world. I want you to have, when he left the house, he had a different attitude, a soiled, spoiled attitude towards the father. But when he came back home and humility touched his heart and he went through this process that I'm talking about, his attitude towards his father changed and so did his appetite. He got tired of the things of the world. And listen to me, God will do that with us, church. He'll take us to the pig pen so you get fed up with the pig slop and you get fed up with the corn cobs so that you begin to have a taste for something a little more royal. You see, the reality is this young man was eating from a royal table when he left home and he thought the world could offer him something better. And he ended up eating with the pigs and realized, I had it real good. I was eating from the royal table, and I got to make my way back. You see, his appetite changed. The the devil crept in. Here's what you need to understand, because the devil will do the same thing to you, too. You are royalty. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've been invited to dine with the king. You've been invited to sit at a banqueting table. And yet the devil comes in and says, that's not good enough. I got something better. Come and try to eat what I've got. Come and taste of the world. And you do. And you leave the royal food behind. And you end up eating with the pigs instead. 
So the devil comes in and he changes your appetite away from the royal table. And you begin to eat from the pig slop. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has to step in and change your, your appetite once again. He has to change your appetite so you begin again to, to have this desire for royal food. For the presence of the king and to, to sit at the table with the father once again. This is, this is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He's talking about having a hunger and a thirst to sit at the royal table and eat royal food. And I'm not saying that, that again to lord it over anybody. I'm saying that God, that's where God wants you to sit. But you won't sit there unless you allow him to cultivate that appetite within your soul and within your spirit. So the fourth attitude is what we should have towards Christ and the kingdom. And it points to a new attitude we're to have towards the Father. The fourth beatitude seeks the very thing it knows it's lacking. And it looks for what it lost in the garden. You understand that, church. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost something in the garden. They lost fellowship with the Father. They lost the character of Jesus Christ. They lost the very nature of God because they allowed sin to come into their life. And the reality is this beatitude begins to seek for the very thing that it's lacking. It begins to look for the very thing that was lost in the garden, which is the kingdom of God and the character of Christ. You see, please understand, when you're born, you're separated from the kingdom of God. You're not born into the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that you've got to be born again of the Spirit, just like you were born of the flesh. And, and unless you are born again of the Spirit, you're not part of the kingdom of God. So when you're born, you're born into the kingdom of darkness, and you're born with a foul appetite. You're born for the thing with, a, with an appetite for the things of this world, church. So we have to understand that when we are born, we're born lacking. And when you come to this place in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when you come to this place in the lesson that Jesus was teaching about the Beatitudes, you begin to seek after the very thing that's lacking. You see, the reality is when you are poor in spirit and you come into the light of God, you begin to recognize how much you're lacking. You begin to realize and recognize the emptiness of your soul. You begin to realize and recognize the, the deep voids that are, that are in your life and are in your heart. And, and listen, the reality is it should stir you to, it should stir you. That revelation that brings you to your knees and causes you to weep and rise up in a new attitude and a new spirit should drive you to fill that void. It should drive you to fill that emptiness that's within the soil of your soul. Listen, it doesn't do you any good to just stand there and say, okay, yeah, I got a big empty spot in my life. And just keep saying, oh, I got a big empty spot in my life. Got a big empty spot in my life. If, if somebody came to me and they kept saying, I got a big empty, you know, they did that day after day after day after day. I'd say, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing are you, are you doing anything to try to fill that void? Are, are you doing anything? And, and see, the reality is we need to understand that when we recognize the spiritual void that's in our life, we have a responsibility to fill it and fill it with good things. And the only way you'll fill it with good things is that if you have a hunger and thirst after righteousness, you have a hunger and thirst after the things of God and the kingdom of God. So the fourth beatitude after getting up goes after the cure for its condition. The fourth beatitude seeks so that it might find. 
It knocks so that the door of goodness might be opened into the life. It asks so that it might receive the fullness of God. You see, this is what the fourth beatitude does. It doesn't just sit around and whine about its condition. It gets up and it does something about it. It makes its way back to the Father. It makes its way back to that place that it needs to do. It draws near unto the Father so the Father will draw near unto you. You know the story again. I keep going back to the prodigal son. All the prodigal son had to do was make his way back to the Father. And before he got all the way to the house, the Father drew near to him. And our Father would do the same thing. The Father of the prodigal didn't wait for the Son to come knocking at the door on his knees begging. He saw him from a distance, the Bible says, drawing near to him. So he put on his cloak and he grabbed his ring and he headed toward the Son. He drew near to him. This is what this whole thing is about, church. We have to have a hunger and thirst after the things of God. It's what the fourth beatitude does. It goes after the cure for its condition. The fourth beatitude reflects a new appetite, an appetite for the things of God and for righteousness itself. It seeks for good things, not for bad things. It seeks the Father's will and not its own. It seeks to please the Father and not pain the Father. You see, this individual that hungers and thirsts after righteousness judges everything it does before it does it. It judges and weighs everything it says before it says it because it realizes, it realizes that what it, it has the potential to grieve the Father when it says it or has the potential to hurt the Father when it does it. So this individual that Jesus is talking about that has a hunger and thirst for righteousness cares about what it says and cares about what it does. And it's very careful in that process. Here's what you and I need to understand. It is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. When Jesus speaks of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's not simply talking about it as a, a neat idea or some novel idea. Oh, oh that would be neat to... Let's take a little journey after righteousness. It's not a lighthearted statement that Jesus is making here. He's not talking about a casual craving. He's not talking about casual Christianity or carnal Christianity. When, when he's talking about a hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's not talking about a, a Christian costume we put on once a week and come into the house of God and then take it off when we go out the door. That's not what he's talking about when he talks about a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. He's talking about a deep desire that can't be quenched unless it, it finds what it's looking for. Understand what he's talking about when he uses this term hunger and thirst. He's not talking about lukewarm people. He's talking about individuals that have a fervent fire to get into the face of God and come into the presence of God and to experience the fullness of God in their lives. He's referring to those with a desperate hunger for the heart of God and for the nature of God in their lives. This is what he's saying. In the Greek and the Hebrew, if you, you kind of write it out, blessed are those who long for righteousness like a starving person longs for food. Blessed are those who long for righteousness like the thirsty person who is dying from thirst longs for a drink of water. This is, this is the degree. See, we live in America, and a lot of us here might not even understand what starvation is even like. And there's a lot of us in this house that maybe maybe you've gone a meal without food. Maybe some have gone with a couple days uh, because they don't have the funds. But but here in America, most of us sitting here don't have a clue what it means to starve. 
Most of us sitting here always have a plate full of food in front of us and usually more than we need. But see, Jesus understood when he used these terms, he was talking to people that understood what it meant to be hungry. He was talking to people that understood what it meant to be thirsty. He was talking to people that had no clue where their next meal was going to come from. He un- they understood what it meant to be starving. And this is why, this is the depth of what he was saying. Is he was saying you've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness like a starving person longs for food. The metaphors of hunger and thirst, which Jesus uses and the, the prophets use and that the psalmist Davis uses all throughout Scripture describe a desperate longing of the soul as a matter of spiritual life and death. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about a hunger and thirst that is so severe because it knows if I don't get that meal and I know I don't get that drink, I'm going to die. That's the desperation that Jesus is talking about when he's using these words, hunger and thirst. It's a desperation for God that understands its life depends on finding what it longs for. And the thing that you need to realize here, too, when he uses this word, hunger and thirst, it's actually used as a verb. It is a desire that's put into motion. It's a desire that actually is put into action. You see, it's one thing to desire something, and it's another thing to desire it enough to go after it. You understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, oh, I'd love to have that, and it's another thing to have a desire that's strong enough to go out and get it. It's one thing to say, oh, I've got a desire to love God. It's another thing to actually go after God and and prove it. You understand what I'm saying? The, The words that Jesus is using here when he's talking about hunger and thirst, he's actually speaking about a desire that's put into motion. And this, this is what, these are the two most important words to me in this whole passage. Hunger and thirst. Because the reality is, without the kind of hunger and thirst Jesus is talking about, you can't be filled. Without the hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about here, I can't be filled. And guess what? If I'm not filled, I'm not blessed. If I'm not filled, I'm not satisfied. If I'm not filled, I'm still hungry. I'm still desperate. I'm still longing. I'm still wanting. So Jesus is saying you, you, the, the degree and the depth of your hunger and thirst has to be so severe. And then he tells you how deep that That desperation needs to be. He's saying hunger and thirst after righteousness sake. Remember, David said, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. As the deer pants for the water of life. And again, here, when David uses this terminology, he's talking about a deer that is panting for the water of life. He's talking about a deer that if it doesn't drink, it's going to die. He's talking about a deer that is so severely hydrated, if he can't lap up that cool water by the water brook, he's not going to make it and he's going to die. And David said, this is where I am, God. Like the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. I'm not desperate for you, God. I need you that much, God. I hunger and thirst for you that much, God, that if I don't get what I'm looking for, I'm going to die spiritually. Might even die physically. I need you that much. The same psalmist David goes on to say in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is the, this is the depth of David's desperation for God. 
This is the the depth of David's desperation for God to fill him with something good, to touch him with what he needs, to saturate his soul with living water. And this is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples. You've got to come to a place in your life where you're that desperate for God to pour his goodness into your life, that you're willing to get up and do something about it. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness sake, for they are the ones that will be filled and no one else, church. This is the depth of hunger and thirst God is speaking about in the fourth beatitude. Here in the fourth beatitude, Jesus fills and blesses those who desire righteousness, listen, as an urgent number one priority in their life. He's, he's speaking to someone who, whose desire for righteousness is of the utmost importance in their life. He's speaking about those individuals. He said, I will fill those who, according to Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says. You see, the reality is Jesus is telling his disciples that the number one, you desi- the number one desire you should have as my, as my disciple is righteousness. The number one desire you should have in your life as my disciple is the kingdom of God, is the nature of God and the character of Christ in your life. It's the number one desire you should have is the things of the kingdom. And yet here we are as God's children. Here we are as God's people desiring the foul, filthy things of this world. We go after them like, like, like if we don't have those things, we're going to die If we don't have the neatest, greatest thing that this world has to offer, oh, we're going to die and we won't exist. If I don't have the newest iPad and I don't have the newest iPhone and I don't have the the greatest, hottest technology, I'm going to die without it. And Jesus is saying, listen, you'll live without that junk. You'll survive without that junk. You'll get to heaven without that stuff. But you won't get to heaven unless you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You won't be satisfied and you won't be filled unless you hunger and thirst after the things of God. Why do you think they got to come out with a new iPad every six months? Why do you think they got to come out with a new computer every ten months? Because it's never enough to satisfy. We always got to have something new because the flesh will never be satisfied. Jesus wants us to have that same desperation for the things of God. I got to have it. I can't survive without it. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. He blesses those. and He fills those who desire righteousness as the number one priority in their life. He blesses those and touches those and fills those and satisfies those who hunger and thirst after righteousness as their first priority. In their life. You see, the reality is I think every single one of us, including myself, on a regular basis have to examine our priorities. I think every one of us who live in this world and, are, and, and have the potential of being influenced by this world have to, on a regular basis, examine our priorities and ask ourselves, am I seeking first the kingdom of God? Or have I allowed other things to get in the way of my life? When you find yourself not blessed... 
When you find yourself struggling and struggling and struggling through life, you better stop and ask yourself, where is my priority? Where is my hunger and where is my thirst for the things of God? And we cry to God and we whine to God and we call on God and we ask God, help me, help me, help me. And God's waiting for you to reestablish your priorities. He's waiting for you to create a hunger and a thirst for him above everything else. Because listen to me, he can't fill you unless that's your priority. He can't bless you unless you have that hunger for him, church. We have to understand that. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who have a deep desire to to fill the emptiness of their soul. Who have a deep desire to do something about the poverty of their spirit and the spiritual condition that they see when they're in the light of God's glory. This is what he's talking about. He blesses the hungry and the thirsty. This is what he says. The Greek grammar for hunger and thirst expresses a desire for the whole thing. When Jesus uses this terminology in the Greek grammar, when you're talking about this hunger and thirst, it's referring and expressing a desire for the whole thing like this. As in, I want the whole loaf of bread. Or I want the whole bucket of water. I want all of it, and I want the full of it. It's such a strong desire for the whole thing that if you only get part of it, you're disappointed. If you only get part of it, you're still desperate. If you only get part of it, you're still needy. If you only get part of it, you're still lacking. If you only get part of it, you're unfulfilled. I want the whole thing, and I want everything there is. And this is exactly where God wants us to be in relationship to Him. He wants us to have everything that He has for us. I want all of you, God. I don't want a piece. I don't want a portion. I want all of you. I want everything that you have for me. This is what he's saying our attitude should be when it comes to the things of God. God, I want everything you have for me. I want every promise. I want your peace. I want your provision. And it's not a selfish thing. Please understand, this is what I'm talking about. He's talking about a depth of desire. You see, there's a lot of people that are happy and satisfied to just have a little taste of God had my sermon for the week and that's enough. I don't need praise. I don't need worship. I don't need the word. I don't need it. They're satisfied. They're happy with that. But I want you to understand this isn't who Jesus fills. This isn't who God fills. This isn't who God gives a, a, a life joy to and an abundance to. He doesn't give that treasure to those who don't want it. You see, the reality is we've got to have a deep desire for the fullness of God in our life to experience the fullness of God in our life. When you're that hungry for God, listen, God is looking for someone that he can pour his fullness into. He's looking for someone that he can open up the door to and pour out everything the kingdom has available. And the only ones he will do that to are the ones who are actually hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, who want the whole thing, because less than the whole won't satisfy, because less won't fill, because less than all of what God has, church, still won't quench the thirsting of my soul. Understand, the desire for the whole thing, like I said, it's not greedy, it's not selfish, it's not wanton, it's not saying because I want the whole thing I've got this wanton, greedy spirit. It's solely based on the depth and the desire of your hunger and desperation for God. It's solely based, you wanting the whole thing is, is simply saying this, if I don't get all of it, I'm going to die. I'm not thirsty, I'm not hungry. 
I'm that needy, God. I need the whole thing. You see, you recognize the depth of your spiritual depravity, and the only way out of that is to get the whole thing of God. Everything that God has for me. And the reality is, every day that we wake up, we should be asking God, what else do you have for me today, God? Is there anything else that I, that, that, that is of the kingdom that, and again, again, don't, not selfishly. We shouldn't go to God, okay, God, what do you got for me today? What do you got for me today? Because if that's the way we go, listen, the question God's going to ask is, how hungry for you, me are you? How hungry are you for me? How hungry are you for my fellowship? How hungry are you for my word? How hungry are you for my presence? How hungry are you for the things of the kingdom, not just for the things that I have and can give to you? That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about a hunger that wants all of it because I want it because I need it. I want it because I can't survive without it. I want all of it because less is not enough to satisfy the emptiness that's in my soul. Listen, the hunger Jesus is referring to isn't some casual craving church. It's not like, oh, well, I'll take it. I can take it or leave it. He's not talking about us waking up on Sunday morning and saying, well, yeah, it's sunny outside. I think I'll go to the lake or I think I'll go fishing or I think I'll go boating or I think I'll go golfing because the spiritual condition of this person understands how desperately they need God. Jesus is saying, understand what I'm saying. He's saying that you've got such a a desperate need within your soul and an understanding of that desperate need that every opportunity you have to have it filled, you're going to take. Listen, I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. I'm not saying you can't do those things. But I'm saying that we should have a heart and an attitude that understands that the only way my soul is going to be satisfied is in the presence of God. The only way that my soul is going to be satisfied is through the things of the kingdom of God, church. This is what we have to understand. It's not referring to a casual craving that says, I can take it or I can leave it. It says, I won't leave until I get what I need. That's what it says. It's that desperate for God that it won't leave until it gets what it needs, church. It will seek until it finds. It will knock until the door is open. You see, far too many of us quit too often. Oh, we seek for a half hour, we seek for a day, we seek for a week, and when we don't find what we're looking for, we give up. The reality is we, we knock, we, we knock a couple times, God doesn't answer the first time. God doesn't answer the second time. Well, God must not care. God must not love me. God must not be everything that he said he did. God must be busy with someone else. You understand what I'm saying? The reality is Jesus is talking about a hunger and thirst that seeks until it finds. He's talking about a hunger and thirst that knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks until God finally opens up the door. He's talking about a hunger and thirst that asks and asks and asks until it's almost annoying like the woman in the Bible that knocked and knocked and asked and asked and asked until the judge finally said, if I don't answer her, if I don't give her what she needs, she's going to bug me to death. And this is what I'm talking about. When Jesus is using this terminology, hunger and thirst, he's talking about that. That we've got to be that desperate for God that we will seek until we find, knock until it's open, and ask until God answers our request. The hungering, thirsting that Jesus is talking about is a genuine, continual craving of the soul. A craving for the thing that it knows it desperately needs. You see, the individual that's not poor in spirit has no clue what they need. The individual that's never been to their knees, that's never recognized their sin, has no clue what they need. 
But the reality is the individual that that comes into the presence of God, the individual that experiences the light of God, truly understands the depth of their need. And that is what causes them to seek, ask, and knock, because they know they need it. They're not going to seek, they're not going to knock, and they're not going to ask if they don't understand their need. But Jesus is talking about an individual that understands the depth of their need and is willing to do what he has to do to get it. It's not referring to an occasional desire, but a constant craving. It's this, if you've ever been hungry enough, you know you get this pang and this craving that just continues to go on. And no matter what, unless you eat, it's not satisfied. And this is kind of what Jesus is talking about. It's a matter of life and death. It, it, you, 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 you seek and you ask and you knock like your very life depends on that one cup of water, on that one loaf of bread, or on that one breath of air. This is what Jesus is talking about. When I read this, and every time I do this study, I'm reminded of when I was young. I was probably 10 years old, maybe 11 years old, and I was at my friend's house, and we were playing water polo. And we were in a pool, and if you know what water polo is, I mean, you know, you just throwing the ball around. But while we were playing, I was driving down the deep end of the pool, and someone inadvertently, not purposely, I hope, took an elbow right to the top of my head. And it knocked me out just for a moment. And there was so much activity going on in the pool, no one realized that, and I sank to the bottom. And, and, and a couple seconds later, as I open up, I'm, I'm already filling with water. I'm drowning, literally drowning. And all I could see was all the activity at the top. All I could see was people swimming and doing this. I could see the light, and I'm as desperate as desperate can be. I'm kicking. I'm panicking. I'm doing everything I can to get up above the water. And no matter what I did, it just did not seem like it was enough. But but all I wanted, I did not care about anything else. Every ounce of energy that I had within me knew that it needed to get to the top of that pool. Otherwise, I would die. And in the midst of my desperation, thank God, a hand out of nowhere reaches down, grabs me by the top of the head, and pulls me out of the pool and slops me on the side. And I'm alive today because they did that, and I thank God for that. But my point is, I understand this type of desperation. I understand how desperately I needed that breath because I could not get one. And this is what Jesus is saying, when you're that desperate for me, when nothing else matters, when nothing else counts, when nothing else makes any difference in your life except me, you will be filled and you will be blessed. This is what he's talking about when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Nothing else matters except the things of God and God himself. So here's what I want to begin to wind this down with. This is what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But what is the righteousness that we're being challenged to desire? What is this righteousness that God's talking about going after? What is this righteousness that we should be pursuing? The word righteous that Jesus used in this passage is used five times throughout his sermon. And each time it's used, he uses it to describe the very nature of God. 
Or he uses it to describe the culture of the kingdom. Or he uses it to describe the character of Christ himself. Things like mercy and justice and love and humility and all of the other attributes of Jesus himself. So whenever Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and this passage talks about righteousness, he's literally talking about the nature of God. He's literally talking about the culture of the kingdom and the character of Jesus Christ himself. So those Jesus blesses in the beatitude, the ones that he fills with good things according to the word of God, are the ones who hunger and thirst or who first and foremost deeply desire to identify themselves with Jesus Christ, the nature of God and the kingdom of God. This is who he fills and this is who he blesses. The ones who have a deep desire to be like Jesus. To have the culture of the kingdom cultivated in their life. To have the nature of God evident in their life. And they'll do whatever they have to do in order to cultivate that culture in their life. They'll do whatever they have to do to develop the character of Christ in their life. They'll do whatever they have to do to to have the nature of God visible in their life. This is what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word righteousness. So those who he fills, blessed are those who pursue the very character of Christ in their lives as a way of life. In this challenge, in the fourth beatitude, it's, it's really, you could say it this way, blessed are you who strive to identify yourself with the righteous nature of God in all that you do, in all that you say, and in all that you think. Blessed are you who strive to live like Jesus Christ or like those who belong to the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to get as I wind this down. He doesn't say, and it's important for us to understand that, Jesus doesn't say blessed are the righteous. That's not to say that the righteous aren't blessed. It's not to say that God doesn't care about the righteous or pour out blessings upon the righteous. But in this teaching, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so the grammar that Jesus uses here teaches us, church, or challenges us to commit ourselves to a continual process. What this is saying, when he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what you and I need to understand is that this isn't a one-time thing. This is a daily process. What you and I have to understand that this pursuit of righteousness and the the pursuit of the character of God and the pursuit of the the nature of God and and to cultivate the kingdom of God in in our lives is a daily process. It's not one day you wake up and all of a sudden say, okay, I thank God that the entire culture of the kingdom has been cultivated in my life. It is a continual process. How many of you know that Paul himself even said, I've not attained it yet. But forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards the high mark. What you and I need to understand is that this is a continual process that we have to commit ourselves to. If you want to be filled, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be blessed like Jesus is teaching us to be blessed, then you have to be willing to commit yourself to this process. You have to be willing to each and every day wake up and say, what can I do, God, to be more like the kingdom of God? God... Create in me a greater hunger and a greater thirst and a greater desire for the things of this kingdom. Every day we should be willing to say, God, I I need to crucify my flesh. So that along with that flesh, the desires of the things of this world are crucified as well. So that the only thing that, that I hunger for are the things of God and the things of your kingdom and not the things of this earth. It is a continual process that we must be willing to submit ourselves to. I close with this passage.
Isaiah stood before a crowd in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 to 2. And he speaks to a group of individuals who had been spending their time and their money on the things of this world, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find happiness, trying to find contentment, but they couldn't find it. They would run to the marketplace, study it yourself. They would run to the marketplace, trying to buy things that they thought would satisfy them. They would run to all the entertainment meccas, trying to find something that would stimulate them and satisfy them. But none of what they found, none of what they bought was enough to satisfy. So Isaiah stood before this crowd and he said to them, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. And he asks, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen to me, he says twice, and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. You see, the reality is there are good things we can eat and there's some lousy things we can eat physically and spiritually. And what Isaiah was saying to his generation, like God would say to this generation today, there's a lot of you who are eating a lot of lousy things spiritually. There's a lot of you who are trying, you're running from marketplace to marketplace. You're running from theater to theater, from concert to concert, from relationship to relationship, from drug to drug, from bottle to bottle, from pill to pill. You're running from one thing to the next, trying to find satisfaction, trying to satisfy the longing of your soul. And it doesn't work because there's only one who can satisfy the thirsty. And there's only one who can fill the hungry with good things. Amen. If you want to be filled with good things tonight, I just want you to stand to your feet because this is the prayer that we're going to pray. What we all need to be willing to ask God for is to create in us a deeper hunger for him. Amen. A greater thirst for him to take away our appetite for the things of the world so that we have an appetite for the father. Amen. How many of you know you can hunger more for God tonight? Amen. How many of you know you got some room to let God fill you up a little bit more? That's what I want you to pray tonight as we pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for your word. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your promise. I thank you, Father God, that you are able to fill us all with good things. I thank you, Father, that you're able to satisfy the longing of our soul. And God, every one of us at some point or another have been guilty or are still guilty or will be guilty of trying to satisfy those longings with all the wrong things. The things of this world with things that are fading and things that are passing away. The temporary pleasures of this earth, Father. The temporary pleasures of this world. So often we can be distracted and deceived by those very things, God. And it's why we find ourselves empty. It's why we find ourselves longing. It's why we find ourselves unsatisfied. So my prayer tonight, God, is that you would change our appetites. My prayer tonight, God, is that you would change the desires that we have away from the things of this world towards the things of the kingdom. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, God. Help us to hunger and thirst after the very character of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to hunger and thirst after the the culture of the kingdom, Father, because when we hunger for those things, your word tells us that you will fill us and you will satisfy us. 
Tell us that you will fill us to overflowing, Father God, that you would quench the very longing of our soul. So help us, Father God, to long for you, to desire you and nothing but you. Help us to get our priorities straight, O God, that that we would seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, God. Not our own, because our righteousness is like filthy rags. We need your righteousness. We need Jesus, Father. And so let that be our number one desire and priority in our life. God, as we go, I pray that you would order our footsteps, that you would order our thoughts, that you would order our words, that you would order our lives, Father. That we would not lean on our own understanding, but that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways so that you might direct our paths into the places of blessings, Father. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, O God, and create a new attitude and a new heart and a new appetite within us all. I give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Amen. My prayer is that you create a new appetite within you, that you allow God to do that. If you have a special need, be happy to tarry with you and pray. Otherwise, go and be blessed.